Happy July, everyone. This is a summer check-in episode of First You Hustle, the podcast from the Columbus College of Art and Design, meant to help students and budding creative professionals put their expertise to use. I'm your host, Jordan Bell, and you know, normally we do one episode every two weeks when classes are in session, and it made us realize, what should we do for the summer? So in addition to pre-recording some content that we'll release this fall, we're cleaning out the studio. And it turns out, you know, I haven't checked the mail in a while. So this is actually going to be a summer mailbag episode where I'll address some questions we received, seen asked, or get frequently. This episode won't feature any phone calls, but an upcoming episode might. And I'll tell you exactly how you can call in on this summer mailbag episode of First You Hustle. Okay, so here's how this is going to work. Pulling the curtain back a little bit. These are actually going to be composite questions. In other words, we might be taking a similar question from four or five different people and generalizing it into one. Kind of like how, based on a true story, movies will take four or five people and then kind of mold them into one character. Uh, FYI, Jessica Chastain's character in Zero Dark Thirty is such a composite character. Uh, They took multiple people in the CIA and made one character. Uh, Jessica Chastain played that character. So that's what we're going to do with these questions. We might take a question that we've heard asked multiple times and uh, kind of mold it into one general question. So our questions are aggregated from emails, in-person conversations, and some from message boards or public forums where we've engaged with folks. Uh, Future episodes might include your voice because we are rolling out a new call-in feature. So you can't call into this episode, but you might be able to call into future episodes. And it's pretty easy to do that. Just uh, get on your phone and dial 614-636-0874, and you'll get an automated message that sounds a little bit like this. Thanks for calling First You Hustle, CCAD's podcast for helping creative people start... And you just leave your message, and if the message is relevant to the subject matter that we're talking about on the show, we will feature your message on the air. And it can be anything you'd like to to share. You can uh, ask us questions, you can share your uh, concerns, your anxiety, you can share success stories, you know, something goes really well in your career development. We want to hear about that too. We just want to get your voice on the show. Uh, mostly because, you know, much like this mailbag, these questions are not unique questions. They're not one of a kind questions. We get the same questions from all sorts of different people. So by calling in, you might be helping out your peers, uh, by asking questions that's also on their mind. And by hearing the questions that your peers are asking might make you a little bit more, um, in tune with what you should be thinking about and and what's on the minds of uh, your colleagues. So uh, call us 614-636-0874. Leave your message and be featured on upcoming episodes. Okay, let's get on with the good old uh, mailbag here. All right, so one concerned job seeker asked, My GPA isn't very good. It's a 3.1. I'm concerned that it'll get me rejected from internships, even though I have prior experience and am otherwise qualified. Do you think I'm out of luck because of my bad GPA? Well, you know, first off, bad is pretty subjective. So let's qualify that a little bit. On a four-point scale, a 3.0 is equivalent to an 85% or a B letter grade. And B's are fine grades. In fact, I'd say a B shows you were challenged in the course load, but held your own. And if you run in circles where everyone is fighting for the valedictorian spot, though, a 3.1 might feel bad, but it isn't. In fact, the nationwide average, which is kind of a junk statistic, uh, and I'll explain that in a second, is it's right in your neighborhood. You know, it's, the range is 3.0 to 3.3. 
but GPAs are not objective numbers. They depend highly on the discipline in college. That's why it's kind of a junk statistic. Some colleges are accused of grade inflations. Others are notoriously hard to get A's. I've worked at schools where some students have protested that their science major is harder, so the GPA is worse off than those in non-science majors, and they end up competing for the same jobs, which you'd be surprised. Science and non-science majors often are competing for the same jobs. Uh, the science major will look worse because they had a more challenging course. And I mean, there's nothing you can do about that. It's a number and it isn't branded on your body. It doesn't need to define your worth. So let's talk about how that might affect your employment chances. In the creative world, there's a heavy emphasis on portfolio and produce materials that your GPA will not be a factor for employment. However, many art and design majors may look for work in administration at some high-end institutions like fine arts galleries, auction houses, museums, or academic institutions. And in these cases, you might find there is a GPA minimum since your knowledge base is factored highly into considering you for that position. So let's say you have previous experience in a particular area, wide knowledge base, but your 3.1 is just at or maybe a little bit below the organization's GPA requirement. It's one thing. You know, try to dazzle them with the other positive attributes you have. If you see nine great standout things in your applications, a one not so good GPA, it'll have less impact on whether they decide to reject you. Also, Networking is key. Networking and connecting with individuals and organization you are interested in has a magic power of demystifying who you are. The better you know someone, the less risky they become. So if they know the details of your background better than what is on your application, they will be forgiving of a bad GPA. I mean, it's one screener. They screen the GPA and they decide to move forward or not move forward. And then after that, they really don't care about your GPA anymore. They won't even look at it again. So if they know you, uh, and they kind of forgive a, a poor GPA, then you pass the one barrier, the one time your GPA will come up. You know, it's never like uh, we have two final candidates. What are their GPAs? We'll, we'll take the one with the higher candidate. It's like we have 100 applications. How do we narrow it down? I don't know. Take everyone. That's a 3.1 and above. And again, that's only for some organizations, more academic inst institutions where your research and knowledge base is what your expertise is. For most creative positions, it's more about what you can actually create. So your portfolio will be emphasized. So don't worry about GPA, how it'll affect your employment options, but do worry about your GPA for academic reasons. A good GPA correlates to really having a great understanding and knowledge of your craft. So try to get as good of grades as you can. That is a definitely a factor in your employment opportunities. Um, it just doesn't always come out so objectively as what was your GPA. I mean, it'll, it'll be clear to tell if you if you know what you're doing uh, based on an interview, uh, regardless of your GPA. So always try to get good grades. Okay, next question. So a friend offered me to work for their company that does content creation. I graduated a couple of years ago in a creative field, but struggled to find a job and worked retail. So I was excited when my friend offered me this position. My job is helping them find clients, sponsorships, all the business related things, design, edit, taxes, administrative type stuff. After seven months, I'm feeling utterly unqualified and stressed. I've not landed any new clients and I feel like I am wasting my time and their money. The only time I like what I'm doing is when I'm designing stuff for them. I want to quit, but they're friends and I don't want to bail on them. What should I do? Well, the subject of this question was actually unqualified and stressed. So I'm going to address those two things, the unqualified part and the stress part. Unqualified is a temporary moniker and it's also subjective. So obviously they saw something in you when they offered you this position. So they must think you're qualified in some way. I doubt they were just handing you a job out of pity. 
You know, employers don't really do that. They, they actually want you there. If they hire you, it's because they want you at their organization. But everyone has a learning curve in their job. Everyone has room for improvement. And yours might be a little steeper, but you should still create a plan for improvement. Work on this plan with your boss. Give yourself benchmarks, goals that are easy to measure and show your improvement. It could be that you're in a new dynamic and not sure what the best practices are. So I would suggest seeking out talks and networking events, even videos online or articles from industry leaders. Maybe you're having trouble landing clients because you've never really had to land a client before and you really aren't sure how that's done. Well, learn, you know, seek out the knowledge to improve yourself. I'm a little more concerned about the stress part of the subject though. A longer term issue to consider is the toll doing a job you do not like and you are not good at will have on your mental health and outlook on your career. You know, every job will include some things that you do not like, but if they're making up a significant portion of your day, then it will just drill a hole of stress, dissatisfaction, and regret deep inside you. So that might be an area to really focus on what's going on there. So while planning on how to improve in the areas you are lacking so that you can keep your job and start getting a few victories, also come up with a longer-term strategy on how you can transition your role from client relations and admin assistance into more design-related work, which you stated you enjoy doing. Perhaps more clients and business for the company means they will have more design needs. And while taking that on, you can help them transition to find someone new to take on the admin tasks since you are helping with the design work. Again, this is something your boss should be on board with and aware of, but it isn't that far-fetched. You know, obviously the company has some needs now, and your role is to directly assist with those needs. But as the company grows, you may be able to shift your role on the team. If these are friends, as you say, and you know, even if they weren't, if they were just smart supervisors... They know it would be in the company's best interest to find where your passions and interests intersect with their needs. And the company's needs will evolve. So if you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, you might find it helps you bear with your current role and you might actually motivate yourself to do better knowing that it could lead to getting out of that role. Also, most of the time we find we don't like doing something because we are bad at it. Occasionally there would be something that you hate doing and even if you became good at it, you'll still hate it. But for the most part, becoming skilled in an area magically transforms it into something you enjoy, especially if you see the direct impact from those tasks. So this is a hunch, you know, just making an assumption, but you might find that once you learn to land clients and start bringing more and more in, that you'll see your value to the company skyrocket and you'll feel good about the work that you're doing and you'll want to get that feeling again. So that might be a motivator for, you know, really training and, and learning the ropes on client relations. You know, lastly, don't worry about other people right now. If I'm on a team and I make a mistake, let's use sports for an example, it's the World Cup, so let's say I'm a goalie in soccer, and the other team shoots and I jump out and I accidentally tip it into my own goal scoring for the other team, I would feel terrible. I would feel like I let down my team, I'd worried they'd hate me, they think I'm incompetent, why they put me in goal, how can I look them in the eye? You know, that line of thinking would just sink me into a pit that would be very hard to climb out of. How could I confidently move forward as a goalie? If instead I shake it off, think about what went wrong, create a plan for improvement for the next time and pick myself back up, then I am more likely to do better the next time. But notice how all those things I just said were things I, I could control and all the things I wallowed in before were not. You know, I can't change the past. I can't change someone's mood or what they're thinking. But the next time the situation comes up, I can change the outcomes and that will change their thinking. And now I've owned the situation. I've taken more control. So get yourself out of the self-perpetuating cycle where you made a mistake and you worry everyone hates you. So you get stressed and continue to make mistakes. And then it adds to your worry that everyone hates you and get into a cycle where you can say, how will I do better? And make that clear to your colleagues that you recognize the areas you need to improve and have a plan 
And most important, make sure that they support you in that plan. I think you'll find that there is a, a big desire for team success. And if you work with your, uh, with your friends at this company as teammates, that you're all in something together, then you'll most likely be able to form a plan that will make your work um, more achievable and everyone will be more satisfied. Okay, on with the questions. A few different people have asked me this one. Should I hire a career coach? Are career coaches worth it? How much is too much to pay a resume writer? Essentially asking you about paying for career services. Well, the short answer is that since this podcast is primarily geared towards CCASD students, you are paying for a career coach, me. It costs you nothing to see me and go to our workshops. It's all included in your, in your tuition. So take advantage of that while you're enrolled. And if you are listening and attend a different college, you have the same deal. I can guarantee it. Find your career services office and get all you can from them while it is still free because not all colleges will uh, work with you as an alum and it becomes harder and harder to engage with your college the further out from college that you are. So some colleges provide alumni assistance. Some have a limit, might be five years after graduating, but in any case, you might find that you're thinking about hiring someone to write your resume or hiring, uh, hiring a career coach to make a career transition. Here are some things to know. A career coach is someone that coaches you. Whether they are a career counselor, advisor, whether they say they're an industry expert or whatever their title, ultimately they are in a coaching role. Coaches support the client and work with them to build a regiment for improvement. Let's think about sports again. The coach won't score for you, but they'll make sure that you are in the right condition and have the right knowledge to make the right decisions and you score on your own. So a good analogy is a personal trainer. If you are looking to work out, you can likely do it yourself. If you are looking for a specific result and don't know how to get there, a personal trainer can help you build a regiment that works for you. Ultimately, your success is based on what you put in. Also, if you don't know what result you want, but know what exercises you enjoy doing, a personal trainer can help you understand how that might affect your health and what the results might be. For example, if I want to gain muscle, but I like doing cardio, I might get results different than what I expect. Career coaches work the same way. You have to come motivated in some way. You are just If you are just stuck and looking for an answer, you'll ultimately feel disappointed by the results and that the coach was not worth the investment. But it is your journey. You get the job. You make the efforts. It is the same relationship that any athlete has with their coach. To stick with my original example, it's a lot like working out. You know, you can do self-research, buy books, find tons of advice online to do it yourself and forego coaching, and many people opt to do that, and you'll make progress. But like a coach or personal trainer, having someone to reflect your progress with, help make adjustments and so forth, will enhance your progress. For example, I know how to do physical exercises, but there are certain stances and rhythms that really let you hit the intended muscle groups the most efficient way. Without a coach, I might not be getting the most out of my workout. With a coach, I can be assured I am, and it is the same with careers. So you can find tons of advice online. Uh, you can buy books. You know, you can talk to friends or industry experts. You can get a lot of free advice and go about it yourself, and most people do that. But when you're really feeling stuck, a coach can help highlight the areas where you might want to concentrate more, you know, ignore or, you know, make some adjustments. As a career coach myself, I don't want any student or client to feel like they wasted their time, but inevitably some will feel that way. It's kind of like this quote from Ron Swanson in Parks and Recreation when one of his colleagues takes him to meditate as a way to clear his head. And this was Ron's reaction to meditating. All told, we were in there about six hours 
And no, I was not meditating. I just stood there, quietly breathing. There were no thoughts in my head whatsoever. My mind was blank. I don't know what the hell these other crackpots are doing. Well, Ron, it turns out you were meditating. You just didn't realize it. So often, people will complain that they get nothing from their career coach and then describe exactly what a career coach does. You know, they'll say, oh, they just told me, they just gave me some advice on other places to look for jobs, or we just talked about what skills I like to do uh, or what skills I want to develop. And they kind of realized, like, oh, I, I kind of knew that all along. They, they didn't really know why they needed a career coach, so they feel like they weren't really getting value out of that. So if you're going to sit down with a career coach or if you're going to come in and talk with me, I'll want to really make it clear with you that this is your journey. We, we want to first identify some goals on what it is you want to achieve. That way it's easy to track your progress. A lot of times people are just looking for advice, but they don't know what they're looking for advice on specifically. As I said before, even with something like personal training, or you could even insert woodworking, basketball, cooking, you name it. You can self-teach and then find assistance when needed. So go seek books, advice you can access for free. And then if you find you're confused or need reflection and want to discuss things, then find a career coach. Or for the college folks, you have a coach for free. As I said before, it's included in your your tuition. So take advantage of it while you are a student. This is the time to seek advice. This is the time to come in and talk with someone because it only becomes harder when you're outside of college. Not only does it become something you likely have to pay for, it just becomes a bit harder to gain that momentum that you have in college. This is the time when you are discovering things and you're making major life discoveries and choices and things like that. So this is the good time to talk about your career. And you know, for resume writing, which I mentioned in the, in the question uh, that prompted this answer, it's kind of the same response. Don't be surprised if the end product feels like something you could have done because in all honesty, you most likely could have done it. Resume writers don't magically make you appear any more qualified than you already are. So another complaint I've gotten from students, and this always kind of breaks my heart because they come in and they talk with me, their free career advisor who their tuition you know, pays for already. They can come in and talk with me for free and they say, hey, I hired a resume writer and this is what they gave me. And it turns out you know, it's not what the client wanted. It's not what they expected. And from my perspective, it's not a good resume anyway. And they get a little mad because, you know, they paid for this service. But uh, what were you paying for? What were your expectations? It's the same thing. Set some goals. What is, what is a writer doing that you can't do? And sometimes people are thinking, oh, a writer will make me appear more qualified or will say the things that employers need to hear in order to hire me. But a writer can't do that. They can't just make stuff up for you. So you know your skills, you know your experiences, and it should be easy enough for you to write your own resume. Now, with that said, a career coach or career advisor can help you target what you have to say with what employers want to hear and then cross-reference the things that are most relevant. So you can tell me 20 things about yourself, but only three or four of them are highly relevant to the employer, then we'll want to really emphasize your resume on those three or four things. So again, a career coach can kind of guide you into that area But that type of advice of like, oh, just figure out what the employer wants to hear. And then if you qualify for that, just tell them that seems like kind of obvious advice. But again, career coaching is often, you know, a big portion of just being a sounding board. People just sort of reflecting, this is my strategy. This is what I'm looking to do. And then getting some reaction to that. So career coaches are highly valuable for doing that. But also mentors and friends, colleagues, professors, industry experts can similarly fill those roles. So it's kind of a village 
you know, effort here. Um, I don't want to want you to think that the career advisor is the only place where you can get career advice. It's definitely the go-to place if you don't know where to get career advice, but also build a healthy network for yourself where you have a lot of people that you can talk to, get opinions from, reflect things on, and then you'll be able to make your own decisions. Because the other thing too is that, you know, people hire a career coach and then they get an opinion and they think that's the answer. I talked to one person, they told me one thing, and now that's the answer. But that's not true. Everyone has opinions. So you want to weigh different opinions and decide what's best for you. Also, coaching isn't for novices only. Professionals, be them musicians, athletes, artists, often hire people to help them advance their skill set. So even if your skills are 10 times better than most, but you still want to get to the next level, a coach can help. In fact, that is probably where coaching is most valuable. Once you've mastered the foundation, you might need help on the fine details or when the stakes are higher than ever, some guidance on sticking the landing. So be prepared for a lifetime of career improvement. It isn't just something for getting your first job. It's something for maintaining a strong and growing career. All right. Next question. In an online forum, someone simply asked, what does it mean if an employer asks, tell me about yourself to you repeatedly? You know, I've also received this question directly from students. In fact, one time a student came into my office after an interview and they said, you know, I said, how did your interview go? And they said, it was weird. We didn't really interview. I got coffee with the managing director and he just asked me about college and what I wanted to do with my life. We just chatted for like half an hour and they had to go to a meeting. I actually wish he could have interviewed me. You know, this person thought they didn't even get an interview, but they did get interviewed. That was the interview. And it's very common these days for employers to do a very broad open-ended interview where they invite you to do the heavy lifting on conveying what your qualifications are. They're not going to prompt you with a bunch of questions. They're just going to kind of open up the conversation with a couple broad questions. So if they only ask one question or repeat that question a few times, and it is, tell me about yourself, they're basically giving you a sandbox. So jump in and get to work. Tell me about yourself can be a sentence or a life story. So build your response using the newspaper inverted triangle way. This is how news articles are structured to give you the most important information first, and then funnel down to the least important information. So imagine a bulletin breaking the Titanic story this way. The RSS Titanic bringing passengers from Ireland to the United States served Beef Wellington to first-class passengers last night, and after dinner, they were treated to an orchestra performance. Patrons of all classes enjoyed the crystal clear night sky, getting a great view of stars over the North Atlantic. Also, the ship hit an iceberg and sank. That last sentence kind of makes everything before it irrelevant. So you want to start your tell me about yourself with the most relevant, you know, tell me about who you are as a professional. Tell me why you're interested in this position. Start with the most important things first and prioritize that headline. What's the headline of your candidacy? So I, I would generally categorize it this. Start with one, a summary of who you are as it relates to working in the job that you're interviewing for as a professional in that field and someone interested in the industry. And then if they kind of prompt you to keep going with your answer, start talking about work habits, work ethics, goals, missions, keeping it all related to your career. And then if they keep saying, yeah, okay, tell me a little bit more about yourself, slowly work your way out to number three, hobbies and personality. Well, not sharing too much and avoiding politics, religion, and other topics not suited for workplace discussion. You will rarely, if ever, go beyond one and likely will never get to three except maybe at the end of an interview or maybe during a lunch portion of a day-long interview where you're just more socializing and talking about you know who you are as a person. But in essence, 
always have more to say about yourself. Just organize it in an order of succession. So if they keep pushing or they just keep kind of nodding their head and not asking any more questions, you can keep going. You can keep talking. There's always something more to say. You know, as I said before, it's very common that some interviews rely only on this question and don't really do an interview. They just want to talk about the position with you and learn more about you. You can also think of tell me about yourself as the introduction to an essay. That essay is titled why you should hire me. Your subsequent responses should support the claims you say you you will make in your introduction with specific examples and proof. That is usually prompted by the other questions in the interview, but if there are none and they just keep saying, yeah, just tell me a little bit more about yourself. So tell me more about who you are. Just dive deeper into your essay. Okay. Let's, uh, let's keep going with the mailbag. Oh, what's this? Looks like we have a whole thread in our mailbag here. So lucky us. I'm going to share with you this correspondence I had with a student and I want you to see their aha moment. So this thread starts with the student writing to ask me to proof an email they are planning to send to a networking contact. The email is brief, which is good, but it ends this way. Would you be willing to share a bit about your experience at the name of their company? What your day looks like, who you work with, how many people are on your team, etc. And if you could spare a moment of your time to look at my website, I would value any thoughts or critiques that you have. And then the students sign their name. And I responded, the questions you ask in your email are hard to answer in an email, but are rather easy to answer in dialogue, either in person or over the phone. I'd suggest replacing the example questions with a request to talk on the phone. For example, you could say, would you really be willing to share a bit about your experience at the name of the company? As someone just entering the field, I'd like to learn as much as possible about where my talents might fit in best. If you are available for a brief phone call, I'd love to ask you some questions about your work. This allows for the email response to be quick. It's either a yes, they have time to talk or no, they don't. Very easy to respond to. Rather than forcing them to articulate a long response in an email, they can just chat with you on the phone. It's much easier for all. And you'll build a better rapport with them in dialogue than through email. So I sent that advice off to the student. They responded, and this is a direct quote. Oh boy, that feels ballsy. Such risk taking. Ah, they may not want to talk on the phone or have the time. To which I said, valid point, but then also consider that they may not have the time or patience to type out responses to broad questions via email either. And let me pause here to reiterate this. I type my scripts for this podcast to keep me on track. And wow, is it easier to just talk than it is to actually type this out? This is going a lot faster and a lot easier as I talk to you than it is me, you know, typing out each and every word that I'm going to be saying. And the next day I got this response from the student. He responded right away yesterday and agreed to talk on the phone, exclamation point. There's some time zone issues and they ended up doing a Skype call, but this was the result. I got another email a little bit later saying, all capital letters, I just talked to name of person and I think it went really well. He talked a lot about his experiences and said my portfolio stood out when they were going through applicants. He said the studio will probably be sending me a test soon. Anyway, I just wanted to let you know how it went and thank you for helping me navigate my fears of reaching out and setting up a call. I don't think I would have had the courage to do so otherwise. And I'm sharing this with you not to toot my own horn. After all, all I said was, hey, maybe I have to do a phone call. And then I helped the student get to a professional, courteous way to make that request. But this student did the lifting. They reached out. It was their portfolio that stood out to this person. So Back to the value of a career coach, you know, back to that question, uh, it's not magic. 
you know, simple little check-ins like this can go a long way. And I'm sure the student now has the confidence to reach out to additional networking contacts, and you should too. Our office can help you get started, but don't fear it. You know, this student was in the right place with their original question. It was good for them to reach out, but they were just a little off base. So the person receiving it is like, oh, this is an essay prompt. I don't have time to do this. But just by changing their approach a little bit, obviously this person respected that the student was reaching out and wanted to make a connection and, and wanted to respond. But by offering it to be a phone call, it was a lot easier to connect. And then once connected, you're just looking for that little window, just that little crack that you can slip through and kind of present your case. And then it's all on you. You know, it's your portfolio. It's your work. That's your opportunity to shine. And we just kind of help you get those opportunities. So that was one way that I saw students saying, oh, now I kind of get networking and they're more confident in doing it again. All right, we are down to our last question. I feel like I've taken up enough of your time, but I, I really like doing this. You know, I, I like responding to questions. I think it's a really great way to understand what's on your minds and get some answers out there that are broad, apply broadly to a lot of different people. So like I said before, make sure you call us at 614-636-0874. You can also email me if you're a student at CCAD, you know my email address. You can leave comments on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash first you hustle. I wanna hear from you. I wanna hear your thoughts again, questions or comments, concerns, success stories, anxiety. Just let us know what's on your mind. That's really what it's all about. Okay, final question. Is my resume good? This is a composite question comprising of about 1,000 different people and situations. I don't know. What's the best pizza? You know, there's not an answer to either of these questions. What's the best pizza or is my resume good? Everyone has an opinion on both and you'll always find someone that has a contradicting opinion. So in many ways, there are objective things that make your resume good, as in standard meets the definition of a resume, and objective things that you should not do on your resume. But if by good, you mean, will it stand out in a pile of resumes? Opinions, opinions, opinions. You'll never find a template for a great resume. What you'll get is what one person thinks is best. Do they know what is best? Probably not. Exception to that is if they are giving you this advice and you're applying to their company. But in general, if they just say, this is the resume you need for every job on the planet, uh, yeah, they probably don't know. When you seek out feedback, though, you will get coaching back to career coaching. So when I look at a resume, I will help you frame goals and develop strategy for achieving them. Reflecting ideas and goals off of someone is highly valuable. You might find your resume was just fine, but something else was throwing off your career search. You might find your resume isn't saying what you needed to say, but you'll work out identifying what you wanted to say and how to get it there. So for feedback, seek discussion, not answers. In my experience, I've never seen a unanimously great resume. Everyone has an opinion on resumes. So when you pay for a rewrite or use a template from the internet, you are getting one version of critique. I was on a call once with a bunch of employers. They all worked in competitive businesses that routinely saw a lot of applicants and you know, I'm talking highly desired employers for this particular industry, super competitive. So one person said, Hey, you know, when I see that you like to play tennis on your resume, I don't care. Why should I care about that? Just tell me what you can do in the job. We don't play tennis here. This person hated hobbies on, on the resume. Another says, yeah, you know, interests aren't really doing much for me. They were kind of apathetic about hobbies on a, on a resume. Third person says, you know, I kind of like it. 
I want to see you are a person and can offer a bit of personality. We're in an industry where we don't see that inherently. So having it on a resume is kind of refreshing. And what does that do for you as a candidate? All depends on which of the above three are reading your resume. If it's person one and you submit a resume with your hobbies on it, trash, don't care about it. You're in the trash, declined. Person two, they'll probably ignore it. No gain, no loss. They just don't really don't care about it. Not even going to assess it. Person three, maybe they like that you were just like every other resume, but then they saw that you were the only one who offered a little bit of personality. You know, you kind of stood out in a different way. So should you include interests and hobbies on your resume? Well, if you go to one person to give you the answer, their response will be no, absolutely not. Eh, take it or leave it. Or yes, it's a great thing. And then you'll think it's the rule for that part of your resume, whichever one answer they give you, you you will think is the rule. If you go to someone to discuss options though, then you'll be able to weigh what is best for your career interests. And the answer to the hobbies question is that it highly depends on what is the position and how much personality is involved and what's the culture of the place that you're applying. You want to kind of reflect in your resume as best as possible that you're a culture fit. It's really hard to do that. So sometimes hobbies make that stand out, but yeah, there's some industries um, might be much more technical, like accounting or finance where they just say like, no, we don't really care about hobbies. So we don't want to see it. And then you can't help if one person gets mad that you put hobbies on your resume. So it's up to them to ignore it. And if someone gets mad that you put tennis on your resume, like this guy in this phone call, he was pretty heated about like, I do not want to see that you like to play tennis on your resume. Um, you don't really want to work for that guy anyway, but that's one person reviewing resumes for jobs out of hundreds. So you don't want to, uh, you know, devoid your resume of any personality just to satisfy that one person. You really probably didn't want to work for that person anyway. So it's probably safe to put it on there. That's my personal opinion. You'll hear, hear other people give you good reasons not to put your hobbies on your resume. But again, you're the curator. You're the one that decides for your situation and your circumstance, what's the right way to go. So that is a long-winded way of saying your resume will be good. You just need to make it good for you. Industry mentors and career advisors are good at doing this, so work closely with them. Essentially, your resume speaks for you, and a good resume makes sure you are saying the right things with purpose. Hey, this mailbag thing was kind of fun. I, I think I'll do it again. I'll continue to track questions that I'm receiving in person through email, at workshops, online, and other places to share in future episodes down the line. But again, we also have the hotline, so we want you to call in. Many different ways you can get in touch with us. You can uh, leave comments on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash hustle. You can call us at 614-636-0874 and leave us a voice message. Again, questions, concerns, anxiety, success stories, anything you want to share. Um, just, you know, be courteous when leaving your message. Use your first name, not your last name. Obscure the name of companies or the name of coworkers or other people that might be in a situation, especially if you're talking about things that might not be the most positive. Uh, so we, and we'll edit, you know, if you submit that in a written comment, we'll edit that stuff out. But for your voice message, it's a little bit harder to edit. So just keep that in mind. But we do want to hear from you. And it's super helpful for everyone involved when you um, get in touch with us because other people are thinking about this. Uh, as a career advisor that's worked for seven years, I know that the question I get from a student, 99% chance I've gotten that question before. So if you're thinking it, your classmates are thinking it, and uh, they'll want to hear the answers too. And you'll want to hear the answers to questions they're asking that you haven't thought of either. 
So that is our July mailbag episode. And I really thank you for joining us. And I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, We'll do another check-in in August. And then we'll be back to our regular once every two week schedule for the semester. Take care, everyone. The theme for this episode was Hey by the Juanitos from their album Welcome in the House of F-U-N, Creative Commons license from the Free Music Archive.